All right, so I thought we'd have a few technical problems first. So anyway, this is day 18. Doc Scott's 90-day devotional. Um, talking about childlikeness. Um, you know, Jesus said, let the little children come to me, for such is the kingdom, such to them is the kingdom of God. In other words, you have to become like a child to receive. And really the restoration of shame has everything to do with um, becoming a child again. And that's part of the reason why we want Jesus to penetrate those places in us that feel defective and to feel like we're wrong or like that we're, we get jaded. You know, um, the man at the pool of Bethesda, I know I like talking about him a lot. Um, his response was not a childlike response when he said, I don't have anybody to put me into the pool. His response was more of a place of just being jaded, having done 38 years of life in that condition. And part of what happens to us a lot in Christendom is that essentially, you know, as we go, you know, we start with this, you know, childlike faith. You know, you tell us anything is possible and we believe it and we run out and we do it. You know, we believe in the impossible. We believe that Jesus heals. We believe and then life happens. And not only does um, our, our sense of shame try to cut out that childlikeness, but the, the, the shame that we end up experiencing, even in our jadedness, actually makes it even more challenging to become like a child. I remember um, when I came into the vineyard in Indiana University many years ago with Denny Strickland was my pastor there. And, um, you know, I was college, so I was full of zeal, full of life, full of faith, on fire, and one of the things that he did and what he modeled, and it's part of what it means when we have mature leadership, you know, leadership that is threatened is often coming out of their own shame. So it takes, you know, fatherly figures, which he was one, he was actually secure enough in who he was and free enough from his own shame and at least enough in those places to actually not be threatened by gifted people. And, you know, many of us kind of lost a lot at the hands of people who were really threatened because we were gifted. And the whole goal, if you're looking at who we are as mothers and fathers in the faith, is we want actually everybody to surpass us. And secure leaders don't worry about how gifted we are. They're always trying to promote what God's doing, and they're really free to bless us and send us out. And here's the other part. If we want to create a community that dismantles shame, then we have to allow people to make mistakes. We have to allow them the freedom to fail well and be there, not in a way that heaps more shame for their failure, but it actually empowers them. And that's the part of what it means for us to be a safe community. I remember back then I had this you know, harebrained idea that I wanted to do a worship service on campus at Indiana University. Anybody knows much about their history, they're very anti-God. <laughs> there you have the Kinsey Institute there, they have all kinds of things they promoted. 
And I wanted to do this simple, like I had this idea that we could do a worship service on campus in one of the main buildings. And I would just put signs up, everyone, you know, around everywhere that said, you know, we're gonna have a worship service, every Christian's available to come, you know. And it was a big deal. You know, our, my pastor brought the ministry, you know, a small worship team, brought all the equipment, we set it up, the signs were out. And I would probably say that um, the, the people that were there were probably just us, because I don't think anybody that actually went to the university came. And for me, part of me felt like I was a miserable failure. And, you know, because it wasn't a success, you know, I really, you know, it says also not to despise a small beginning, but I'll tell you what was the most empowering thing and the thing that really dismantled the potential shame of just feeling like I was stupid. Because when we make mistakes, we, we can feel stupid, especially if they're public. And basically, Denny was just letting me know that the heart that I had to start something on campus was phenomenal. And that just being there that day with our own worship team, regardless if anybody showed up or not, we were releasing something into the atmosphere. That, that there was something that was going to happen as far as an impartation. And that's a, per, that's a kingdom perspective. 99% of the time, all we have to do is show up. And I think sometimes we have a lot of shame, even in ministry, because we always evaluate things by what we can see as the tangible result. And part of coming out of that shame is actually kind of being gracious, number one, with ourselves, but also seeing things like a child sees them, seeing things from a kingdom perspective. What we don't always realize is that outcomes are not determined by how well we perform, how well we get it right. If that were the case and the kingdom of heaven rested on our shoulders only, then we would be a real mess and nothing would happen. Outcomes are determined by what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And if, you, if we will just show up, we have no idea. Because the Holy Spirit is so much larger than what we're doing at the moment. And if we have the perspective, this is a childlike perspective. I remember I gave this example the other day at a Bethel um, leadership advance. Um, they included some of the kids in the lower school. They had a 12-year-old kid that they put on the team with the more, you know, the Bethel Supernatural School Ministry students and older people. And that one kid, that, you know, 12-year-old kid nailed every leader, like read their mail, like laid them wide open. And it made some of the other guys feel a little bit foolish and inadequate, like where's, where's my prophetic thing here, you know? So at the end... They were asking that young man, so how long have you been doing this? Because their assumption was he'd been doing it forever. Look how accurate he was. And he said, well, this morning, they told me that um, at the school that we'd be prophesying over the leaders. And so I just figured anything that came into my head was God. <laughs> because he just believed that the simple thing that was going in his head 
here's where we overthink it because of our shame. We always want to think there's something wrong with us that we're not getting it, whatever. Here's what I'd like to encourage us with. I've come to this new conclusion that if it's in me, it's God. Most of us spend so much time agonizing over, is this God? Is this not God? And then we basically, we sit in the paralysis of our own shame because we think we're not enough to actually hear God and we're not enough to have, to trust the union that we have with him. So my new policy, which has been working really great, by the way, is that if it's in me and it serves to bless, to advance the kingdom, to give, to love, to love well, it's Jesus. If I have something in me that wants to buy a gift card for a lady in the front office because I think it'll really bless her, or if there's something in me that I want to do something that I feel led to do, I don't question it. If there's a word in me that I think I need to deliver to somebody, last night Jane and I were just being fun and spontaneous, and it was in us to record a couple prophetic words and send them to a couple people. And they got blown away. It was totally spontaneous. It was a thought that just kind of came into our head. If we would have belabored the thought, there was a big part of the blessing that would never get released. I didn't think twice about it. And so one of the things I just want to help us do is free ourselves up to go with what's in you. Because trust more in the union that you have with Jesus. If I'm in him, and he's in me, and we literally are fused and one, why would he be saying anything to me and leading me in a place that would lead me astray? We have to trust more in God's ability and the union that we have with him to keep us than the enemy's plan to deceive us. It's straight up shame. It's straight up you feeling defective. It could be part of our past failures. A lot of times if we mess things up really bad, we don't really feel... It just kind of creates this kind of doubt in us. And so when I did that worship service on Indiana University campus that totally failed, in my eyes, my pastor didn't let me go without realizing that everything we did had a purpose, that walking on the campus was a purpose. He affirmed what I was called to. He affirmed and told me who I was. That's what we have to be willing to do with those around us that we're mentoring. Let them make what they consider a mistake and then let them know what they're really about. Because I don't know that we could make up. You can't blow it, okay? In the kingdom, it's not really easy to blow it. It's actually really hard. And like I said, we just have to show up. There are things that are happening in this room, in this school right now because I'm in the building. There are things, hey, Kathy Brooks, good to see you. Um, there are things that are happening right now where you are, Kathy and Derek and my beautiful wife who's on, that are happening in your buildings and the places that you go because you show up. If our eyes could only be opened to the angelic in the realm, to what's going on here. If I'm a carrier of the kingdom, then every place I go, I'm releasing it. And you don't know what didn't happen. Uh, that you, you don't know what plan of the enemy got thwarted because you just showed up. 
I don't care if you feel like it. I don't care if you feel good. I don't care if you feel like you're not full of faith. Jesus still gets what he wants and the kingdom is still imparted and Holy Spirit is still moving. And so one of the biggest things that becomes a block for me is there is a whole lot more connection to what God's doing when I'm connected to my identity, when I know who I am. And who I am isn't based on what's going on around me, isn't based on what I see, any of that. If it's based on just who I know who I am and what I carry, then what happens is we have expectation that everywhere we go, there is an adventure in Jesus that is waiting to happen. And I am scanning my environment, looking for what God is doing. And I'm going to move with what's in me always. So join me in our resolution to stop overthinking it. Stop doubting. Trust that your childlikeness, that part of you that is ready for any kind of adventure and a wild life in God is actually right. That we become children. That, we, that our jaded parts begin to melt. The only thing that tells us that we can't or that there's something wrong or defective with us is that the enemy. There are two voices. If it comes to accuse, if it comes to tell you that you're rotten, if it brings every past failure to mind, if it reminds you of what you did 10 minutes ago when you fell into that mud puddle of your own sin, and that shame washed over you to make you feel separate. There is no separation. Separation from Jesus is an illusion. And it's an illusion and a smokescreen that the enemy loves. Because if he keeps us feeling separated and like we have to clean up to get right, like we got to do something to restore ourselves, look, one day that Jesus just said it to me one this way, do you really think you can nail yourself to the cross? I mean, like how much are you going to get done that way? You think you can do that? No. And if there's something that we don't let ourselves off the hook for, the question we always have to ask is why? And what is my investment? Because usually it's because I have an investment in self-contempt. I have an investment in punishing myself. Look, if we're not on the hook on the cross, everything has already been paid for everything I've already done. Everything that I will do, excuse me, is all there. The things that I've done, my history, all of it's on the cross. The only thing that the cross does is bring liberty and life. And so we walk in liberty and life and we cast down every accusation of the enemy that says we are less than, not enough, that there's something about my union with Jesus. Look, all things are possible. And we have to stir that and create that atmosphere. I remember the first time I went to Bethel with um, Evan Beard and um, went to Saul Kent and hung out there. And, you know, my wife and I had been through a lot. A lot of things had happened. A lot of shame and failure had come into our picture of ourself because things just didn't work 
and things happened that were devastating. And so they, they kind of roughed our, our perception up and the enemy had a, a field day. I remember coming back and sitting in the airport and saying, for the first time in years, I believe all things are possible. I think God could do anything. I hadn't felt that way in years. And it was because we'd been beat up and kicked to the curb in so many different ways by the enemy that that simplicity of believing that God could do all things was gone. Slightly after that, I went to Haiti for the first time. And I didn't have a reason initially. I remember my wife had this discussion and I said, well, here's the thing. I only, all I ever know, and it's probably selfish at first, is that if you, if I go, I'll never be the same. That's all I ever hear about it. That there's something about the greenhouse of the heart that gets, that God just kind of dives into and pummels in those kind of environments. But what he really does in an environment of faith is he resurrects the childlike part of us that we have to be in an atmosphere. And I'll tell you where I see this, and I know you see this a lot, Kathy, too. Um, people, I make a joke about how it's much easier sometimes to see kids in non-Bible lit classes to get healed, experience God, and have encounters. Why? Because most of the time they recognize that they have a need. If you have a need and the people that are the most rough around the edges recognize that they can't do it on their own and that they do need Jesus, that I'm not going to get healed. I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to do anything apart from Jesus. There is something about that that just dials up their receptivity 195% plus is having a need. And that need, what it, do, what it is, is it makes them childlike. If you look at the people that came to Jesus that actually received, like right off the bat from him, you know, the woman who thought, I just need to touch the hem of his garment. That was childlike. She believed if she touched it, she'd be healed. The lepers who were the worst, they had the biggest need of all. They were the biggest rejects. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Yes, I'm willing. We need that part of us awakened. And so that's my prayer. Jesus, I ask that you would awaken the childlikeness in us, awaken the heart of a child. And Father, we just release that awakening into our own atmosphere and around us right now. Lord, that you would restore the innocence of the childlikeness in us, the part of us that knew that we could run and sit in daddy's lap any time of the day, the part of us that would never imagine you not being present with us, the part of us that just knows that you can do it, Jesus, that, that it's not hard for you, the part of us that says yes to everything. Jesus, I ask that you would awaken that simplicity and, that, and the result of that is that we would see your kingdom manifest. And that, Lord, that we would empower those around us to actually fail in their own eyes, if that's what it means, is let them fail. And then we will tell them who they are and that there's no such thing as a failure in the kingdom of heaven. There's only growth. There is only growth. 
and Jesus doesn't waste a thing. So, Father, I thank you. You don't waste anything in the kingdom. Every attempt we make, everything we do, even if it ends in failure, Jesus, you redeem it, and I thank you that you do that. You redeem all things, and you bring out more than we could ever think or imagine out of the things that we think are just awful. Father, I thank you that you redeem all things, you reconcile all things to yourself, and you are in the ministry of reconciling all things to you. And we ask that our childlike faith, that we would become children that walk in the realm of the unusual, the miraculous, the crazy, crazy, miraculous, because we simply believe that you are the God of impossibility, that impossible situations are your forte. And Jesus, I ask that you would restore that simple childlike faith that we would believe that if we said to a mountain to move, that it would. Jesus, you're the only one that can do that. And I'm asking you to penetrate every place in our own heart that wherever we've become jaded, Jesus, and just set us free to be a kid. Set us free to be a kid for such a time as this and to live forever in the realm of the impossible and the wildest journey that we've ever experienced. Because for many of us, that wild journey is about to begin as we get launched even more and further into our destiny. So Father, we just release destiny. We release wild journeys. We release new spring in people's lives. We re release new commissionings, new impartations. Father, we just release that kind of faith and the faith to do the miraculous, the faith to stand in the gap and believe that if you said it, it's going to happen. We release faith for, for provision. Father, we release faith for miraculous provision, not the kind that I make and get a paycheck for, the kind that shows up. Father, we just release that kind of faith and we release it in ourselves, and we call it forth in ourselves. Jesus, make this simple. and cause us just to be kids. Bless you guys. See you tomorrow at 7.